church, but I don't think we even have snacks for downstairs where we have snacks for the adults. <laughs> we really prioritize our adults up here. <laughs> All right, so um, welcome to Newcomer. This is Christian girl, Christian Christian's girlfriend, by the way, Julia, right? So, so glad to have you here. It's awesome. Um, we're actually in a series of teachings, so sorry about that because it might not make total sense to you, but we're talking about leadership in the church. Um, and so last week we talked about ministers of the gospel, and this is just so that we can all gain a better understanding of why we have structured our community and the leaders of this church family the way that we have and where we find it biblically. And it's very important because there are not many church communities who have this leadership structure, even though it's what the early church had for their biblical structure. We've institutionalized the church and changed it so it's just one pastor, and that's all we understand, right? One guy who makes all the decisions, and maybe a board of elders behind him secretly making all the decisions. He's just the face of the decisions, right? So we want to understand why God has structured his family the way that he, he has. And just a quick review, like you look at an individual family, do we get to do just family, or does family work well just any, any way you want? Kids get to do what they want, or you know the kids are in charge, like, no, that doesn't work well, right? Because that's not the way God designed it. God is a master designer, and he, he makes things a certain way with a purpose. It's to demonstrate and display his glory in the earth. And so we believe that about the church as well. We believe that the church is God's family. It's a family made up of little families. And that we are here to display his glory in the earth. And that he has a very specific design for his church. All right? So we're diving in. I'm going to ask some questions. Woohoo! It's, yeah, it's like some people's hearts started beating faster. Hated tests. <laughs> so... What are ministers of the gospel? What what five leadership roles are the ministers of the gospel? Anybody? Apostle. Apostle. Prophet. Teacher. Pastor. Evangelist. Very good. Apostle, prophet. This is the order it has in, in Ephesians 4. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And what is their role? In the church, in a general sense, from from the scripture, what does it say that their role is? So make disciples, spread the gospel. What else? To equip and to edify. Anything else? What did it say? prepare God's people. So equipping God's people for the works of service and to bring us into maturity. So the gifts are given these five roles in the church are given to specific individuals. Um, not, you know, it's not like, oh, I want to be an apostle, so let me try, you know, I'm going to do all that I can to be an apostle. No, God gave it to specific people. They were born with this gift. And they naturally function in it. And their gifts given for the equipping of the saints, that's us, believers, bringing the church to maturity and unity in the faith. Okay? Um, and this is the passage. If you didn't remember, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16. 
I'd be hanging out in that passage if I were you throughout the week, just kind of reading through it. Kylie's loving it. She's saying, amen, amen, amen. That's how I interpreted her tongue right there. <laughs> All right, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, you can hang out in that passage and read it, go deep in it. And there's a lot of other scriptures that are being thrown out that I'm not reading through all of them. Take those, study them, look into it yourself, okay? Um, so the general role, I'm just reviewing here for a second, the role that these MOGs, right, ministers of the gospel, those five leaders, played in the early church, meaning the New Testament church in the first three to 500 years, this is what it consisted primarily of. They did a lot of different things, but primarily they were sent out to preach the gospel, plant churches, that's the scripture. They cast vision to equip the saints and build up the body to maturity. They instructed and established communities of believers in the household order, which is all we're learning in sound doctrine groups. That's household order, to guard against false doctrine. And then to set in order what remains, which required. There were some churches that had been planted but not established, right? So Paul would show up. Or Timothy. This was Titus. Um, and Titus, it, that Titus was um, commanded or instructed to set in order what remains. So Titus was showed up at a church plant, and he had to assess where are they in their establishment. Where are they in their grounding? And then he would do what was necessary to bring them into being an established community. Um, it included the appointment and further development of leaders. So these uh, ministers of the gospels uh, would recognize leadership on other people, and they would appoint elders, deacons, bishops, um, leading men and women, and then also other uh, ministers of the Gospels, they would recognize and acknowledge them, and they would they would bring in the development. They would teach and they would train to help those leaders be developed and be put in their position. Okay, and then they were also um, overseeing allocation of funds. So right, we give Tommy was Pastor Tom was talking about the tithe this morning. Money came into the church. The believers collected money, and it was used for a, a variety of different things. A lot of it was to help the poor, okay? That was a huge portion of the money was to help, to reach the community, to help the poor. Um, and the, the ministers of the gospel were um, overseeing where those funds went, okay? Does anyone remember these terms, sodal and modal, from last week? Does anyone remember what they mean, sodal? And macro Macro, yeah, great. Uh, anybody else have words or thoughts that came to mind when you saw Sodal? What'd you say? Big picture. Big picture. So you, yeah, so you're seeing the big picture. People who are seeing, anything else come to mind? I know these are new words we talked about last week, but we want them ingrained in your mind. Sodal, so Sodal, a leader whose focus is primarily on the big picture regional or global work. So we know this is one local church. The church down the road is another local church. We are a church in the region. God doesn't see us like, oh, this is my church over here and this is my church over there. No, we are one church, the global church. There are church communities and believers all across the world. 
the underground church in China is the church. We are the church. We are all part of the church, okay? We are one local family, part of a much bigger global family. So social leaders are, they're thinking big. They're thinking, I want to establish this whole community, and then I want to go do it again, and again, and again, and again. <laughs> and I wanted to, yeah, once a community or work is established, they'll move on to do it again, like Paul and his teams. They're connected deeply with people, but they're driven with vision to establish the church. Notice the, the C on that, the big C church, right? I said it's a global church. There are a few examples of resident ministers of the gospel, like in Acts 13, prophets and teachers who remained in Antioch for longer periods of time, but had a distinct role within the community. So those prophets and teachers stayed in Antioch for longer periods of time. Sometimes they'd be sent out, but we know that they stayed there. And some of them did get sent out to go do other things. All right, so what is modal? Micro, yep other words that come to mind what small local all right so sodal is global or macro big picture modal is local modal local <laughs> so modal are local leaders so those leaders whose focus is primarily on the local church community their primary desire is to stay planted and to see individuals and families truly grounded and healthy. They're committed to grounding the believer and families in sound doctrine, producing healthy families. So, and then the note on this, right? This does not mean if you're constantly wanting, just I want to move around, so I must be sodal. No, <laughs> doesn't mean that. You could be an orphan. <laughs> You can have an orphan mindset and be so afraid of being known in community that all you want to do is just jump from church to church to church to church, and you never settle down and you're never known. That's not what these total leaders were, these ministers of the gospel. They were deeply connected with people. They had accountability. They were accountable to other leaders, right? They were not just doing their own thing running around. And then also important, gifted, gifting is a primary indicator as well as capacity. Capacity shows some, when you're, when you're a social leader, you have capacity, God, it's a capacity gift. You have capacity for a lot of things like thinking big picture and planting multiple works. That takes capacity to do that. Not everybody has that same level. Social and modal leaders also have overlap. This is important. Uh, because you might be thinking, well, I have vision for nations. That doesn't necessarily mean you're sodal. Could. Doesn't necessarily. Because modal leaders will have vision. A, a mature modal leader will have vision for the, the community around them and for missions. They'll be like, we need to be involved in missions. We need to be sowing into the nations. It just won't be the desire, the unction in themselves to say, I'm going to send me. Let me go. They'll be like, Who's going? Let's send, right? So they do have vision. They have vision for the mission, vision to touch nations, but they're wanting to raise up leaders and send them out. Um, and SOTO leaders have vision for the local church community. We have SOTO leaders in this house, and, and those leaders that we have here are very interested in this local community, building relationships, very 
very focused on people getting grounded, but my, but the primary bent is toward the big and this pull to like, okay, let's let's go, let's go, run, 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 so I can run, <laughs> right? So that's that's kind of I'm gonna keep reminding us of these two things because it will help each of us in this community. We believe that God gives gifts and there's bent in each one of us grace. So we want to remind everybody of these things so you can start kind of processing, what am I? You know, what is my bent? How, you know, do I want to stay? Do I want to see families? You know, I'm not the one who's wanting to send even though, I, you know, missions is great. You know what I mean? So we want to get into that. Um, let's see, what is this? All right, so last question. Which leaders in the church are sodal and which are modal? So sodal. Okay, he named two, Soto, Apostle, Prophet, who else? Evangelist, teacher, pastor. All right, so these are Soto leaders. Why are they Soto? Big picture oriented, all right? I know it seems like I'm beating the, the horse, but this is what we're, we want us to truly understand this. They're big picture gifts. Their capacity, their their vision is for the greater church. All right, so who are modal leaders? This might be harder because we haven't dove in yet. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I'm talking leaders in the early church that were appointed into their leadership position. That is a leader, but but deacons, elders, bishops. Leading men and women. There were also, I forgot to mention that one, I think, on the first one. But there were also leading men and women in the early church. All right, so these, these um, elders, bishops, deacons, leading men and women, they're the ones who stay in the community and they're working to develop individuals, develop families. They have a vital, vital role in the local church community to help it be established, okay? All right, so we're moving on. Last week we talked about apostles. This week I'm just going to focus on prophets. I don't want to make these too long, and I, you know, because I want to do some reviews. So we we're tracking where we're going. We're just going to kind of tackle one at a time. I've decided um, because I'm long-winded and I don't want people to get tired. <laughs> so prophets. We're just going to go in order. Apostles, prophets. So before we can dive into this gift as it pertains to Ephesians 4, we need to make a distinction, all right? Remember Joseph Robinson, he's on our leadership team. He's actually probably one of his roles, not probably, yes, one of his roles in this church is fivefold minister of the gospel, prophet, okay? Well, so think of him when you're thinking of this as we go through. But he taught several weeks back through the gifts of the Spirit. And if you remember, one of them was a gift of prophecy, there is a difference between prophet and prophecy, okay? So many of us have heard this term, an office of a prophet. Okay, that, that's not in the Bible. There's no word, the office of a prophet. The term office is not there, but we use it to mean leader, that they have a position, a role of leadership in the church that's official, they have been positioned, acknowledged as a leader, and that's different than the gift of prophecy. Um, the gift of prophecy does not denote leadership in the church. That's a major difference. The gift of prophecy does not denote leadership in the church. 
All right, so I, I function in the gift of prophecy for many years with having zero leadership. I was not a leader in any measure of the word. I was extremely immature, loved the Lord, and had a gift of prophecy. I could prophesy. Joseph as well. <laughs> I only know it because it's been 20 years, right? So, <laughs> but, yeah, I know. We were a mess. So we, but we prophesied. <laughs> Got some things right. Maybe a handful of things missed the mark. Very funny stories along the route. And I'm sure we all have some, especially those that have been going with the Lord for a while. Just because you prophesy does not mean you're a leader, okay? And I don't mean that to sound harsh. It's, it's reality. <laughs> reality check. So I know this sounds like a big quote. I'm going to read it. Try to stay with me. There's no denying. This book is awesome, by the way. The Emergence of the Church, Context, Growth, Leadership, and Worship by Arthur Passia. It's a really deep book. So if you dive into it, just prepare yourself. But it's excellent. He makes some great, great uh, points on all these things. So he says, there's no denying that prophets and the gift, charisma is the Greek word for gift, the gift of prophecy were a significant component of leadership in the early church. Paul listed this ministry second in his triad of church leaders, apostles, prophets, teachers. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Now, that sounds familiar, right? Where, where are those three also? Ephesians 4. All right, so apostles, prophets, teacher. Luke saw the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy at Pentecost as the universalization of God's spirit, ushering a new age of prophetic activity. Woohoo! We love it. Ephesians identifies prophets as one of God's gifts to the church. They, along with apostles, form the foundation of the church. That's where Ephesians 2.20 and uh, Ephesians 3, verse 5. Some New Testament books, such as 2 Peter, Jude, and 1 John, reveal a strong concern to expose and rid the church of false prophets. And the author of Revelation intended this book to, under, to be understood as prophecy. Okay, so there's, there's distinction here. There's a role as a prophet, that's a leadership role, right? And then the gift of prophecy that would function in the church. In the Old Testament, we all know this, the Spirit of God came upon people. It did not dwell in people yet. So sad. How awful would that be, right? Well, in the Old Testament, it was there were only periods of time and certain people where the Spirit of God would come upon them and that they would prophesy because Jesus had not died yet. So not everyone could prophesy. There were prophets in Israel, and their role was to hear what God was saying and declare it to the people. Okay, that was their main role. And it was so intense. They had to be infallible, right? Because they're saying God is saying this. The Spirit of God's coming on them. If they missed it, they were stoned to death. That was in the law. It's serious, right? That's before Jesus. Thank God that's not how it works anymore, right? I'd be stoned to death a long time ago. <laughs> So Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Jonah, Zechariah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc., etc., etc. These are all prophets all throughout the Old Testament who had the Spirit of God come upon them and they would declare a word, right? Joel was a prophet prophesying about prophecy. Mic drop for him, right? He's, he's a prophet prophesying about prophecy. Whoa. 
So in Joel 1.1, he says the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel, and then he continues to write in first person as if it's just God speaking, okay? So that's why it says, it will come about after this, and he had already written a whole bunch of stuff, so read it if you want to read the book of Joel. But he gets to the point in chapter 2, it will come about after all this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Woo-hoo. Right? And then it continues on. It's powerful. Well, look at this. About 800 years later, this is why the Bible's cool. That's not an exact number, by the way, but most scholars would agree that somewhere 800 or less years later, we have the disciples with 100, who are now apostles. They've been sent out by Jesus. They're gathered in the upper room with 120 people waiting for the Spirit, the promise. Jesus said to wait. So what happens is the Holy Spirit gets dumped on them like tongues of fire. They start speaking in different languages, declaring the works of God, so that everyone in Jerusalem is like, I'm hearing the gospel in my own language. For people who had no idea what languages they were speaking. Pretty crazy, right? So much so that people thought they were drunk. People were saying, look at these drunk people. Like, they're, they're drunk. So Peter takes his stand. Peter's one of the 12, the original uh, disciples of Jesus, and he's now an apostle, and he takes his stand. He raises his voice and declared to the men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, know this and pay attention to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you assume, since it's only the third hour of the day, which was 9 a.m., but this is what has been spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will have dreams, and even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. He quotes Joel's prophecy and says, this is what's happening. We're not drunk. The spirit of the living God has been poured out on all mankind, and people are prophesying. That was a pretty high moment <laughs> for them, right? So I want to quickly touch on this because, you know, we're trying to, we want to equip everybody to understand these things. So there are three different, there are three different views on this, these two passages, that passage in Joel and Acts. People believe different things about this. Some people don't believe it's the fulfillment. So the first view, that Acts was not the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, and that Peter meant simply to compare the power they saw come on the 120 in that moment only. So people who believe that believe that we can't prophesy today. They don't believe in prophecy, okay? We don't believe that here. So er, <laughs> you can search it out, but I'm just saying I personally, we as a community, do not believe that. Number two, the Acts was the total fulfillment of the prophecy. Those believe the entire prophecy was more symbolism and not literal, and therefore could be interpreted to have been fulfilled in Acts 2. 
I go, er, I don't believe that either because there's a lot of things in that word that have not come to pass yet. And I'm not going to try to interpret it as it's fulfilled. That's like making things up in my mind. Anyway, they, some people believe it. Number three, the fulfillment began at Pentecost and will continue to the end of the age. This is what I personally believe. As many continue to prophesy all throughout the New Testament and into the early church, there's a lot clearly written in Joel's prophecy that has yet to happen and is an end time prophecy. So there was, and there's a lot of people who believe this, um, this theology, that Acts 2 was the beginning of that prophecy. Okay, because Joel, I mean, Peter stood up and said, pay attention. Listen to what I'm saying. This is what Joel prophesied. Okay, so that's pretty clear to me. So the gift of prophecy, the spirits poured out on humanity, enables people to prophesy. That is the gift of prophecy. Any believer who has the spirit of God can prophesy. Any believer who has the spirit of God can prophesy. Literally meaning they can hear what God is saying or see what he's doing and then release it in the earth. Right? So in the Old Testament, they were called seers. Those are types of prophets that would see dreams, see visions, and declare what they were seeing as prophecy. So that's what this is, that anybody, any believer has the Spirit of God can hear what the Spirit's saying and release it. So we learn to hear God's voice through his word. We grow. We can grow in our ability to recognize his voice. And no one is infallible. All right? Not one of us in this room is infallible. You can get up here send something from the Holy Spirit, and it just be off. That's okay. We're learning. We're growing as a community. And that's why it says in Corinthians, let two to three speak, and the others test what is being spoken. Right? Because we're not infallible. And that's both for the prophet leader and for the one prophesying. Right? It's We test it. If they're a leader in the church, you don't just receive like, oh, we're the yes people. We're just going to say yes to whatever our leaders say. No. Test it. Question it. Make sure that you really know and believe that scripture is saying whatever your leaders are saying, okay? We're open to that, 100%. So that, the examples of that is like someone senses, hears, sees, feels that God wants to break depression, right? So you're just, or, or like what happened today, break control. I, I got a feeling, sense something, okay, God wants to do that. That is me prophetically tapping into something. You know, I'm not, a, I'm not a minister of the gospel prophet. I was prophesying, gift of prophecy. Anybody can do that, all right? Just like Kanisha's word to the greeners. She's not a minister of the gospel prophet, I don't believe. I think she has other gifts. But she prophesied to them, in three months, you will be in a new home that's paid in full. She had no idea. Within three months, they were in a new home paid in full. They had no, no plans of moving into a new home paid in full, okay? 1 Corinthians 14, 1. It says, pursue this love with eagerness, right, from chapter 13. Make it your goal. Yet earnestly desire and cultivate the spiritual gifts to benefit the church, but especially that you might prophesy to foretell the future, like Kanisha did, to speak a new message from God to the people, like I did this morning, control, new message, Okay? Can we desire the gifts and graces of Ephesians 4? No. 
Ephesians 4, we can't desire them, right? It's not like I could say, I want to be an apostle, so let me try. I really want to, God. Please, it just sounds really cool. Let me be it. Let me be it. It's not how it works. It's delegated. That's a great word. It's delegated. So Paul is saying here, desire earnestly to prophesy. Okay? So that means anybody can. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 through 31. Now you are Christ's body and individually parts of it, and God is appointed in the church. Remember these three. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. All right, and those, interestingly enough, that the Greek words used for those three are point to leadership. Isn't that crazy? That's why the English language is kind of lame, because we don't pull all those things. Then it moves on to other gifts that were not leadership gifts. They were just gifts of the Spirit. That miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, all are they? Goes on and on and on. But earnestly desire the greatest, greater gifts. And he says prophecy is one of the greater gifts. So you can see, is, is it likely that Paul is contradicting himself? All are not prophets, are they? But then he says desire earnestly to cultivate the gift of prophecy. No, we're concluding there are two things. All are not prophets, but all can prophesy. Okay, all are not prophets. Just because you can prophesy does not mean you're a prophet. Say it again. Just because you can prophesy does not mean you're a prophet. Does not mean you have the leadership role of a prophet in the church as a minister of the gospel. So this is prophet as leader. The office of a prophet, the leadership role as prophet in as part of that the ministers of the gospel team. The Greek word here is, I don't even know how to pronounce that, but you see it, as a leader in the church, not referring to the gift of prophecy, to exhort, strengthen, guide believers. They're an expounder of divine matters or concerns that could not ordinarily be known except by special revelation. Yeah, that could be dreams, that could be visions, that could be the Lord speaking through a passage of scripture. I mean, think about Joseph for a second. Does that not happen all the time? He functions in this. Okay, I'm going to keep reading so you kind of get more about the difference between just prophesying. I mean, it's a leadership role in the church, so it's actually for the entirety of the church, and there's equipping, and there's a calling up, higher. He's doing it for the establishment of the church, of the, 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 of the body of believers. He's sensing things in the community by a spirit of revelation because of his role, because of the gift and grace God has given him since he was born. Right? It naturally comes to him. He doesn't have to try for it. He doesn't have to work for it. It's naturally coming from him by this gift and grace that God has given him. He senses something in a community, and many times here, as we've seen, but also at VHOP, at the House of Prayer, he senses something in the room. He'll get up, and he'll expound on it. Okay? So most, uh, I'm going to go down to that. Prophets 
where a class of instructors or preachers who are next in rank, we don't like that word rank um, because it's not a hierarchy. It's a realm of responsibility. And some leaders have bigger realms of responsibility, okay? They just have a greater realm of responsibility and those realms overlap. So it does not mean like, oh, you're an apostle, you're above everybody else and you get to dictate. No, you have more responsibility. It's more work, all right? So prophets are next in rank. Don't be offended by that word. It means realm of responsibility, okay? Who are next in rank to the apostles and before the teachers, realm of responsibility. Like the apostles, however, they did not remain in one place as the teachers did. They seem to have differed from the teachers in that while the latter, meaning the teachers, spoke in a calm, connected, didactic discourse adapted to instruct and enlighten the hearers, that's a teacher, the prophets spoke more from the impulse of sudden inspiration from the light of a sudden revelation at the moment as indicated in 1 Corinthians 14.30, where in the room, the prophet would all of a sudden be like, whoop, light bulb came on, okay, I need to release a word. I need to instruct. So there would be like a measure of teaching, preaching, explaining, expounding, talking, but it was from immediate revelation that they had received, maybe in the moment, or sometimes through dreams and visions. Right? Like, oh, I need to, we need to teach on this. It's in my spirit. I need to do this. And they say, yes, do it. You know, that's what we need as a community. Does that make sense? So that's the difference of prophets looking. A prophecy can be like what, what Kale did the other day, uh, last week, running around. He was sensing, seeing something in the spirit. He starts running around the sanctuary, and he's yelling, don't stop, he's worthy, don't stop, he's worthy. That was unction of the Holy Spirit, spirit of prophecy, and he was doing a prophetic act that was then explained. That's different. Anyone in this community can feel that act function during worship and move in that gift of prophecy. It's different when Joseph, as a prophet, as a leader in the house, receives a revelation for the church that he's then going to teach on, and that might uh, cut something in this, the realm of the spirit that might invite us into a different place by sudden revelation, okay? And that's a gift, a role of leadership to equip the body, to see the big picture. He's looking over. Maybe he might even be tapping into regional dynamics. Oh, there's a, there's a regional spirit, and we've got to break it over our community, like a, a spirit of poverty, right? So, oh, there's a spirit of poverty over the region. Let's break it as a community, right? That's profit. That's, that's the unction. That's the gift, the role um, that he was created with. So let's look at this. There's a, we're nearing the end, okay? I know it's been a lot. So there's a pattern in Acts. Remember I, I talked on the first week, what, how do we see what we, is normative for the church? when there's a pattern and it's taught about. And it's a very easy way to find out what's meant for the church of all time and every culture and every, for all time, from beginning and the end. If there's a pattern of it in scripture and then they teach about it. So this is the pattern. We have Agabus, prophet. Remember in, in Acts 11, 
He prophesies a famine that's going to come over all of Jerusalem. So much so that all the churches, right? This is not just for an individual word or an individual. It was for the whole of Jerusalem, predictive prophecy. And all the churches responded to his prophecy and made a collection. They made a collection for those in Jerusalem who would be suffering from the famine. And that famine did happen. And all the churches sent money to have aid. Okay? Barnabas. Okay, so these next five where it says Acts 13.1. Barnabas, Lucius of Cyrene, Main, Main, <laughs> Simon, also called Niger. So there in Acts 13, 1, it says there were prophets and teachers in Antioch, and then it names these people, and obviously Paul, and Luke was there too. Luke is writing it all down. Right? Remember Luke wrote Acts? So you don't think of him there, but he's following around, <laughs> writing all the stuff down that's happening. He's with Paul. So Paul is also there. They do not make distinction of who is who, which one's a prophet, which one's a teacher. I put them all there because their name is prophets and teachers, and several of these are considered people, you know, you read into it, scholars have different thoughts on it. Anyway, uh, Judas and Silas, Acts 15, 32. It says, when they had read it, uh, they had just sent the letter out, the decision that had been made in Jerusalem, the counsel that they had on the, the matters of eating meat and circumcision. Remember, they had to make a decision because there was unrest about the uncircumcised. So they made a decision in Jerusalem. They sent it out. And then in verse 31 and 32 of chapter 15, it says, When they had re read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Okay? Different than prophecy. There's a lengthy message. Well, I could be considered a prophet because these are lengthy messages. <laughs> but encourage and strengthen. So prophecy might be these short little things that happen in the service. They're like 30 seconds to two minutes, right? Prophecy. Prophets, there would actually be messages. And that passage in Corinthians where it says like two or three prophets speak in the room test, the reason why they said two or three was because most of the time those were long messages. So that would be like Joseph standing up here teaching, preaching under the unction for 20 minutes and then another one getting up and saying, thank God we only have one, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> then another one getting up under the unction and saying, my turn, like I'm moved by the Spirit. Not my turn, but you know what I mean. I'm moved by the Spirit. And they would come up and they'd speak for a lengthy message. That could be an hour, who knows? You know, Paul killed somebody through his lengthy message. They were long. <laughs> so that happened. It said, let two or three speak because they were messages. They weren't these 30-second things that would make sense, right? They were actual messages from prophets that were to encourage, to strengthen the believers to do vision. And then in Ephesians 3.5, I am going to read this real quick. Ephesians 3, 5, Paul's talking about his stewardship. It says, For I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, for Jesus' sake, if indeed you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, he's talking about his apostleship, um, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote about it before, by referring to this when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man, 
as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So he was saying in that time, in the early church, there were apostles and prophets that were receiving from the spirit to establish the church. Okay? The pattern. It was happening. And then prophetic presbytery, which is a mix of elders prophesying and prophets. 1 Timothy 4.14 to lay hands on those laying hands on Timothy for him to walk in his role as a minister of the gospel. He was acknowledged by elders and ministers of the gospel. Alright. So we're, you know, I've got two more slides. Everybody good? Prophets, patterns, and functions. So here's just a general overview of some of the functions of these prophets throughout the whole Bible and specifically in the New Testament church. So we saw a pattern. There were prophets all throughout Acts and throughout the New Testament church and some of their functions. They spoke on behalf of God to his people. Sometimes that would be a specific message like we were just talking about, a warning, like the uh, Old Testament prophet, prophets in Agabus prophesied again, warning Paul, right? He tied his hands to, and feet together, laid on the ground, and said, Paul, chains await you in wherever he was going. I forget. Um, that, I mean, think about how weird that is. Prophets are weird, okay? <laughs> prophets can do weird things. So he tied his hands and feet together, running. so he was warning Paul. Paul continued to go. He went, and he was imprisoned. Okay, but that was a warning prophecy. A future prediction, Old Testament, Old Testament prophets in Agabus about the famine. An instruction or teaching, 1 Corinthians 14, 28, what we were just talking about. And then they were devoted to prayer and fasting, Acts 13, 1. Um, they received revelation. That's at Ephesians 3.5. They were receiving revelation for the establishment of the church. And then they had dreams, vision, discernment with direction and teaching for the body of believers. Okay? So that's a prophet. That's a leader prophet in the church. Not, not you know, our 30-second prophecies or our words of wisdom and knowledge uh, about other people. This is a leader prophet in the church, minister of the gospel. So those functioning as a prophet, as a minister of the gospel, had authority in the church as leaders. I can't emphasize that as enough. There is a difference. They were recognized in the same way as other uh, ministers of the gospel by the gift of grace and were acknowledged and accepted in the same ways. So I want to really, if you remember from last week, the message, the relationship, the work. These are three key ways you can acknowledge when someone is actually walking in their gift in a right manner, you know, because Joe has that role, it's in him, that gift and grace, where he could go off. He's not going to in Jesus' name, but he could go off and start giving all sorts of false words and, and leading. Prophets can lead companies of people astray. And maybe some of us have seen that before where they give a message directional to lead a whole company of people off in a wrong direction. Very dangerous. And they, had, they actually combated that in Acts in the New Testament. So the message is very important. These are three verifying. He might have the gift, but doesn't mean that he's really using it rightly. Okay? We want to acknowledge people for the gift and role that they have, but, but we also want to make sure that we're not following false things. Okay? So... The message, verified, true, sound, biblical. 
not just making up stuff like, oh, get wealth, everybody. And I mean, there could be a prophecy about wealth or a message about wealth, but it will not be this, this um, what's that, prosperity gospel. That's not the real gospel, right? That won't be the message that comes. That's false. That's a false gospel. That sounds harsh, but it's real. We've got to align ourselves. So you, by their message, you'll know if, if they're true. The message gives the authority. Then the relationship. They're submitted, trained, and then others will willingly submit to and receive from them. Right? So, so for myself as an apostolic overseer, I'm submitted to other leaders, Sean and Stephanie Foster and a whole company of people that can tell me I'm wrong at any time they want. They can point out things in my life. I'm held accountable to them in relationship. And then there are other people in this community. You've chosen to come to this local church community because you say, I'm willingly submitting myself to the leadership of this house. And you have, you could make a choice at any moment to leave and go someplace else. Nobody is going to force you to stay. You have that choice, right? We each have that choice to willingly submit ourselves to leadership. And we do that through relationship a lot of times where we recognize, okay, the message is right, it's sound, it's biblical. I have a relationship with this person. So even if something was off, I, I might be able to see that it was just the moment or I have enough relationship to see that they're submitted also to leaders. If you find a leader that has no accountability to anybody, that's not submitted, oh, we are our own leaders, danger, danger, red flag, red flag. That is a major red flag. If you find leaders that just are going around doing their own thing with no accountability to anybody. And then lastly, the work testifies to the gift and grace. The fruit of their labor, their training, they're equipping, they're bringing unity to the body in the greater uh, community of believers that might be in the local community or multiple local communities. So like Bangor House of Prayer where there's multiple churches that go to pray together, that's a work that, that Joe and Kate have felt the Lord compel them, give them vision to do as ministers of the gospel. They're planting a work to bring unity to the body, to train and equip in prayer. Okay, does that make sense? They've been sent out, they're doing that. That's, that's what they've been given. So the fruit of their labor testifies to the gift. It, all it does is confirm what they're doing is producing unity and connection and maturity in the regional body. Okay? And so that's, that's prophets as opposed to prophecy prophets as a minister of the gospel. There's a difference. And some of these things, you know, as we go through these first five especially, these are the complicated ones, because we have this idea that these gifts are better than modal gifts. Wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. People have talked about it that way before and elevated this Fivefold minister, and it's like everybody wants to be a fivefold minister. I'm telling you guys, really, what it means to be a minister of the gospel is more work, more responsibility, more plowing, more prayer. It is not this, you know, remember when Paul talked about it? We've been beaten, shipwrecked, hungry, 
cold, without homes. And it was not this like, ooh, I want a position of authority in the church. Let me be a minister of the gospel, which is what it's become today. So I really want to emphasize that, you know, as we're going through these, it is not a hierarchy. We do not believe that the leadership of the church goes like this. We believe it's circles of responsibility that overlap each other and cover different areas. And these ministers of the gospel just have a greater realm of responsibility and oversight because of the gift and the grace. It's, it's bigger. And that's all that that means. And the local leaders are extremely important. Ministers of the gospel could not establish churches without modal leadership. Ministers of the gospel could not do what they're called to do without modal local leadership. It's connected. They work together for the plan of God. It's like I said before, family. Yeah, my mom did it by herself. Because she had to. Is that God's design? No. Would it have been better if my dad was there? Yes. And it would have looked so much better. And probably gone a lot better for some of my siblings. Right? So this is what we're talking about. And I want that, I want to make that clear because as we're talking through these, I want you all to be praying about, okay, God, where's my role? And, and you have a leadership team here that's also praying for you and watching and, and, you know, okay, let's see, what do we have? What do we have for leaders here? We're assessing, we're watching, not in a bad way, in a good way, because we want to position people. We want to release people into their gifts and callings. We want to train and equip and, and send out, like that's our heart. So as we're watching, you as well be praying, God, what is my role? What is my gift? What is my part in all of this? And, and don't think of it in a way of like, well, I want the I want to be the, the main person who makes all the decisions. Well, then you're going to go 40 years in the wilderness and some deep humility and God's pushing you. <laughs> so get prepared if that's your heart. Because <laughs> that was my heart at 18. I want to be the best lead at the top. I want to make all the decisions, right? How foolish. And then it's like 15 years later of like, crawling through the wilderness as God tore me to shreds to rid me of that, you know, conceited, self-centered stuff, right? He does it. He's good. So keep that in mind as we're going through this. What, you know, God, really, what is my role? And next week, we're going to hop on to evangelists, which is another fun one. All right? So, Father, we just thank you so much for um, who you are and the way that you designed your church, your family, and that we get to partner with you in the earth to release your glory. God, we thank you for each person in this family that you have brought together. Um, and I pray, Father, that even as we go through this series, that, that people would feel so planted and positioned and even enlightened to the role and the ministry and the gift that you have given to them that they would become excited and motivated for the role that you've given them in the church to display your glory from the youngest to the oldest. And we bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.